automation, long a prediction, is revealed as reality. In this first plant of its kind, production is automatic, entirely controlled by electronics. A typewriter-like keyboard is the master control, setting out data and instructions on a punch tape, which in turn feeds the electronic computer. And that, my friends, was the vision of our automated future from the 1950s. So let me ask you a question. When are you working? Now, I know that sounds like a weird question because your immediate answer is probably, uh, okay, Robert, as soon as I get to work from this commute I'm on, or later this morning when I go to work, or tomorrow morning, or I'm at work for crying out loud. But what I mean is a broader sense of the word when. What time frame fills your work life? Is your day filled with reactionary triage, scooping up emergency tasks that have filled your schedule from yesterday or last week? Or are you pretty caught up and you're about to work on something that you know will come today and will fill up your day or days? Or are you all caught up and you're working on your strategy of tomorrow or next week or next year? Now, of course, one sounds good because it's the future, right? And everything's better in the future. One sounds awful because you're so buried in past stuff that you can't even seem to think about tomorrow, much less plan for it. One digital marketing director I know spends her entire week, every week, simply catching up from the demands of content put on her and her team from the previous week. It's a never-ending cycle. Even though she's a director, she's not directing anything. She and her team are simply an assembly line of tasks, doing and doing and doing the past. Now, of course, even though one sounds better, a balance is best. But one of the things that can and should change is how we look at future planning. See, the classic instruction is, one, come up with a future plan. Two, develop your resources and ability to achieve that plan. And three, execute said future plan. But here's the thing. The fact that you're spending so much time on working on yesterday's things is because either your plan or the plan you're executing for someone else, those things to achieve it were underestimated and rinse and repeat and call it a year or in some cases, call it a career. How about maybe instead of trying to see and predict the future and planning our resources and ability to deal with it, let's just plan to balance our time to work in the future. Spend a little time every day in the future. Think about the future. Even when we have so many things on our to-do list, save time for the future. Then we open ourselves up to change while we create the future we really want. And that's the theme of today's show, the future. And like the famous quote says, the future can't be predicted, but it can be invented. And as I say, if we can just spend a little more time inventing it, we can spend a lot less time on cleaning up the mess from trying to predict it. And with that, it's time for me to invent the future of this podcast and get our little time machine on its way. You ready to change? Let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys.
Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 134 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, June 6th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the Doc Brown of Content Marketing's Time Travel, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I am uh, ready for the future, my friend. There it and is. Yes, I am uh, actually... I spoke today at the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association conference. Oh wow! Any DeLoreans there? Or uh... there? You know what's interesting is they uh, they put us up at the Ritz Carlton here, and there's a lot of very <laughs> well, well, nice. Well. There's a lot of very nice cars here, regardless of <laughs> right, this being exactly. a transportation yeah, conference. Exactly. I'll have to look for yes. the DeLorean part. Uh, and, and I, you know, believe it or not, I've got the family here with me, which is nice. Oh, that's nice. So I'm a little, a little downtime. <laughs> yeah. Something like that, I guess. Right now I'm <laughs> recording this as I'm huddled in the corner of, of the hotel room trying to get reception. Uh, and it's wonderful, actually. It's, uh, it's that's so, my favorite what? position, huddled in the hotel room looking for a reception. That is, that's, you know what? That should be the name of an album, Huddled in the Hotel Looking for Reception. You know what's, you know what's funny? It's like an Eagles song. Somebody at the conference today was asking me about the podcast, and I said, oh, I'm gonna, I need to record the podcast later. And they said, is Robert here? I said, no. I said, we record. he records it himself. I record it. I splice it right. together later. It's all good. And he was like, you really don't record together? And I'm like, yeah, yeah we've done it a couple times, but it's really uncomfortable. So, so we don't do it anymore. It's really uncomfortable. Anyways, look how, you in was, the eye, how was your magical uh, week in Chicago? My magical weekend in Chicago was lovely. The Thank you, Chicago. What a... I love that town so much. It's, I mean, we ate, we did the deep dish pizza tour. So, by the way, Lou Malnati's all the way. Um, so, thank you, Bill Furlong, by the way, for the uh, recommendation there um, on Lou Malnati's. We we ate there, and it was fantastic. Did the Ferris Bueller Art Institute tour. Got to see the George Surratt painting. And, of course, all the my favorites, the Impressionists, the Monet's, Manet's. Um, all that stuff. It's just, it, it was a great, it was, we did the whole thing up in the Willis tower where you stand out on the glass sure. and you know, the whole thing I got my, my favorite. My, okay. This is my favorite part. They have a t-shirt. Now I have a t-shirt cause I, I love collecting like weird little t-shirts and I got a t-shirt that basically says, um, uh, Abe Frome and sausage King of Chicago. Oh, so you did have, not come on now. Isn't that if the there best was one in ever? orange, you- you, you hope you picked one up for me, but there probably was. It, I did not, and it's in red, sadly. Oh, but, okay. Um, which well, is not my color, but but yeah, that's it. So, now yeah, somebody's so, going to send me an orange shirt with Abe Froman's Sausage King of Chicago in orange. Yeah, and if you didn't re- recognize that, folks, that was a request, not a request. That was, <laughs> I, yeah, was I said now, asking for now, that. No, unfortunately, somebody's going to send me that. It's going to be just <laughs> yeah, horrible. <laughs> I'm so horrified at that. <laughs> well, before we get on to, uh, to the... Oh, yeah, i got to throw out a reminder. Hey, register for Content Marketing World, okay? you just If you haven't done it already, just do it. Okay, got that out of the way. All right, uh, good. Before uh, before we get to the news in the industry of the week, I think we really need to tell our listeners the the big news. Oh, the big news! The big news! I think we should we should tell them about the the big news. The big isn't the, there an acquisition or something we should be talking about? 
Oh, you of course, you mean Marketo getting acquired by the private equity firm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah we should talk uh, about that. No, no, not that, not that news. The, the oh, other oh, news. Oh, how about, oh, you mean Salesforce actually uh, uh, buying Demandware. That was huge news last week. All, that was big news. Also, yeah, very. That was, that was very nice to hear that, but also not the news that I'm talking about. I'll give you another shot at it. I mean. Okay, how about, um, oh, I know. This just, I know what you're talking about. This just broke. It's the Scripps bought Stitcher, the podcasting thing so that's got to be what you're talking about right i think that we should end the podcast now (laughs) because this is getting ridiculous (laughs) uh yes it was about uh, content marketing institute being acquired sometimes the weird news is about us isn't that something you know yeah so anyways for those of you i'm sure most of our listeners know this but on june 1st we were more than excited to announce that cmi has been acquired by ubm uh, and if you're not familiar with UBM, they are one of the largest uh, event producers in the world. And we had been in conversations uh, with them for, for quite some time, and uh, it just worked. And we're we're super excited about this match where we can reach more content marketers around the world and, and really scale and expand what we're trying to do and the impact we're trying to that's make. That's the key. Yeah, that's the key. We can really... We can really you know, if we haven't been loud before, yeah, now you're really gonna. Now you're gonna really, really hear it. Well, you know, it's interesting, and I, I wrote. We'll of course post uh, a link to the blog post in the show notes, right? Uh, and I talk about this. Some acquisitions are good, and some acquisitions are bad. And you know, I can paint this. However, you know, people are going to think what they're going to think. But what is wonderful about what's happened here is we're 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 partnering with a company that we feel that can really help us expand this message and is also passionate about the content marketing industry. So that's one. The second thing is the entire CMI team is coming along for the ride. They're going to be basically it's business as usual story, right? Yeah. It's business as usual. We've got some more support, which is great, but it's business as usual. You and you're staying, I'm staying, uh, everyone's staying in their roles. We're going to continue on, on the mission that we started in 2007 that we're so passionate about. And, uh, so anyways, that's the news that, that I was talking about. Although, it's quite interesting how many acquisitions took place this week now that you bring I, well, all those yeah, up. Well, exactly. And it was one of those things where, you know, I mean, in both good and bad ways, the CMI acquisition sort of became a little bit of an afterthought with these, you know, you know, it was basically, you know, you had Marketo for some gajillion amount of yeah, dollars. Almost I think $2 billion. It was $1.6 billion yeah. or something. And then... Demandware was for two point eight billion dollars, and then there's little old us <laughs> getting acquired. Not quite the for billion not, number, for not two point eight billion dollars. Yeah, but we were, you know, we were very excited all the way around, and it's very exciting. It's going to be, you know, as I said in a Facebook post, you know, this is, it's been so much fun to be part of the storytelling mechanism of this and watching you know i mean i gave a my my talk at uh chicago's uh bma ana event I, I you know i have this wonderful slide where i talk about the growth of content marketing and how it is now superseded really you know inbound marketing and and other terms to really become super popular among enterprise marketers looking to change the way they go to market with their business and that has been an exciting part to be a uh, you know a storyteller within, and this is just you know turning the page to a new chapter or a new book even, and to see that through is going to be is going to be really fun. So it's 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 been a great ride so far, and it's and it, it looks to be only 
faster, better, bigger, and, and, and funnier in the years to come. So, I mean, before we go on to the real news, so this is, I guess this was real news. It's so meta, right? We've been talking yeah. about... <laughs> sometimes these, the weird news is about <laughs> sometimes us. Sometimes it is. But I just wanted to send a thank you out. I have to be honest with you. I did not expect the outpouring of positive blessings oh, and wishes from the community. So you are yeah. all so amazing out there. I was over. I still haven't been able to catch up with my email, and it's been almost a week now. Uh, with the amount of and social, forget about it. I missed a whole yeah, period. Exactly. So if you if you tweeted at me on Twitter, I'm sorry. I'm I totally missed like 12 hours where I just could I just couldn't keep up with the the well wishes anymore. Which yeah, uh, it was just a testament to this community and how passionate they are and. And it's nice if you get a chance to go to the comments, some of the comments in the blog post on the Content Marketing Institute site. There were some people that said, oh, I saw this and I really got concerned. And then I read your blog post and I talked to some people and now I'm very excited. So, you know, get a lot. You know, these people have been along for the ride with us. We're, we're, the, we're all part of the yeah, community. Well, it's, you know, in many ways is the, this idea is more theirs than it is ours, That's right. right? I mean, we are... We are merely the ones who amplify the voices of the practitioners in the business that are actually making this happen. You know, and as, as I say in my workshops, right, my job, which is, you know, the, the and I said it on the main stage of Content Marketing World, you know, my job is, is really not to, not really, I mean, hopefully I originate a few thinking pieces, but, but really my job is to amplify all of the amazing work that's getting done around the world in this practice and and to get to do that as as a job is 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 really a privilege and and it's and it's their idea we're just sort of helping bring the community together and celebrate that idea so i guess just to wrap this up to all of our listeners out there i have to apologize because robert and i are going to continue to produce this podcast <laughs> and i know yeah, some like it or not <laughs> i know some yeah, people were hoping like it or not hoping that we would be done <laughs> Uh, with this and annoying you. Well, if they're listening, they're probably not I hoping know, that we're done. I know. <laughs> it, you know, it was super nice. I'm sure you saw the same ones I did that said, please don't stop the podcast. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to keep going. We're going to trudge on to, you know, I think I said in one yeah, of my so tweets. such a trudge. We're already, we're already planning a... number 500. Yeah. So, no, All right. Well, let us trudge on then and let that. us move on to our top story uh, of the show. Which is about the future and, and, and really looking at the trends um, every single year. And we have actually covered it um, in as many years as this podcast has been around. Um, is the Mary Meeker Internet Trends Report, which has been around for seemingly ever, certainly the life, uh, lifespan of the Internet itself. And the story that we'll link to is from the WashingtonPost.com, which is the 15 most important slides in Mary Meeker's Internet Trends Report. Um, and if you're not familiar, as the story opens, it explains Mary Meeker's annual Internet Trend Report has become something of a rite of summer. Every year, Meeker, a leading venture capital analyst, comes up with an extraordinary collection of data on a wide range of topics in the innovation economy, revealing in broad and specific terms where the Internet and related technologies are and where they are going. The full 200-plus page slide deck is linked, and of course, um, and the um, the wonderful analysis uh, takes place here. And they go through, as the headline would imply, 15 of the most important slides there. And I was taken with a couple of these before I go into what I was taken by. I wanted to get your take, Joe, and what you thought were some of the big stories coming out of the... Uh, I, and I haven't gone through all 200 yet, but I've certainly gone through a good bit of it. What did you... What stood out to you? Well, first of all, this is fascinating. I love this every year 
for for all the possibilities and and challenges the market's going to see. Um, so I'll just start with a couple, and then you'll get your take because I've got a whole list here. But I think the one thing is is that if I'm in the uh, print advertising business, I would be scared to death to look at this with the amount because yeah, exactly. what, what's interesting, there's a great uh, slide in here where basically the amount of time spent on radio, television, and internet is is pretty similar to the amount of advertising spend in those channels. So, I mean, there's there's not that much of a difference. In print, the amount of money spent versus time spent in print is 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 uh, 400% more, 400% more yeah, ad exactly. spend than time. And you have the, you have a, n- not the same as a percentage basis, but you have a large discrepancy on mobile. So what's interesting is w- at least what Mary Meeker is saying, and it looks this way, I wanted to get your take on this, that you're, we're going to continue to see and maybe an accelerated move from people taking their print advertising dollars and moving them into mobile because it seems like that's where the opportunity is in the United States. Do you agree with well, that? Well, that's yeah, absolutely I do. And I mean, you know, in, in both rightly and wrongly, yeah. I think, you know, cuz I think what we're seeing here is an explosive move into mobile even to the extent and we're not going to be covering it on the on the show this week, but there have been a couple of articles out about how uh uh Facebook killed off the um the ad and I'm going to get the name wrong, but it was basically the ad network um, that was in the desktop to really focus on on the um, on the mobile, and and really they're 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 going all in on advertising in in mobile. Facebook is, and so is LinkedIn, and so is just about every other of the larger platforms that are out there. And certainly, you know, I'm seeing it with marketing budgets, and I'm seeing it with advertising spend. And I think, in a way, that pendulum is going to swing way too far to the other side. And I think what I think. To given you know certainly what we believe and and what we talk about on the podcast is i think what they're going to discover is is that ads on mobile are much more inefficient and ineffective than anywhere else and they're going to have to lean back on this idea of content because that's what yep. people are going to resonate with and i think i think what to me what this slide said and it's a really great one is the opportunity for content on mobile um because if you can figure out a way to really get your content in front of eyeballs on mobile the time spent there is just you know 25 percent you know is is a is a huge amount of time and the opportunity to get in front of those eyeballs right now while there is no ads or where there are no ads and 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 then ultimately when there are a lot of ads and differentiation to me if i was in content development i'd be really focused on developing for mobile well, that and the fact that seventy six percent of the of the entire share of internet advertising is going to two companies. That's right, Google and yeah, Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. So you can either play with that crowd and say, "Okay, I'm going to give in to to those two groups of people," or you could say, "We really need to create our own audience and really nurture that." And there's other and instead of just focusing on, I mean, what is it? The, the the amount of players in the remaining 24%, it's so scattered, and it's becoming smaller. So, I don't know. Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, I think that's the, to me, that becomes the opportunity. Because what we have to remember is that the, that 
when we look at it in aggregate like this and we see Facebook and Twitter and Google becoming sort of the the three, you know, and you add Apple into that and you've got your four horsemen of the ad blockalypse or whatever you want to call it, yeah. you know, this what we're talking about here is mass media, right? We're talking about mass media where everybody is spending time and thus advertising will be a huge playing, you know, a, a playing card. An owned media audience is our opportunity to differentiate and provide a safe haven from that mass media. So an owned media channel done well can literally be the cable network of, you know, tomorrow's broadcast media, right? You can be, you have, you don't have to be big. You only have to focus on delivering value to that very small number of people who are your customers and deliver value to them. And you can be sort of that, you know, that... Uh, that wonderful rest stop a- against that mass media occurrence. And I find myself even doing it today. You know, it's yes, I only go to four or five or 10 or a dozen websites, but those four or five or 10 or dozen websites, those, those are the places I trust. And if we can become part of that sort of habit for people as a brand, as a, as a publisher, then we, you, you just, you have so much influence in terms of what, you know, what you can do with that audience and understand them well, and deliver value. It, it's, you're absolutely right. Of course, I, I agree with you, but let me just tell you a quick story. So I'm here at the, the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association Conference where you can, I mean, just think of the largest logistic players and we all know who they are. Sure. And I'm, it was a great opportunity today because I got into some some very intimate conversations with a lot of these folks and what they were struggling with. The issue is, is that there's two big issues. One is every one of them, to a T, are targeting multiple audiences at the same time with their content, which basically means that their their content isn't working because they're trying to target the pain points of multiple audiences so they're not resonating, it's not relevant information, it's too broad to make an impact, and it's not doing anything. They might as well not even do it. And you know what? Every one of the companies, the marketing uh, executives at these companies, were, were doing exactly the same thing. The second thing is, even with that, so that's right off the bat is not gonna work. And the second thing is, they're not delivering consistently in any channel. It's just a bunch of stuff being sent out all over the place. Now, we're going to talk about an example, two stories from here, that it's really exciting, where we're, where I think, oh, my gosh, this stuff is really happening. We have really made, turned the corner. Uh, you know, this is going to – this whole thing, like this whole Mary Meeker thing, I'm like, we're just talking about the wrong thing because we should be talking about content marketing. And then I sit down, Robert, with these folks, and I'm like, this is 2001, like we're not making any progress. So it's very frustrating at the same time that we just simply haven't done enough to make an yeah. impact because they're making the same mistakes and they're basically treating content like advertising. Well, that's exactly, I mean, that's the heart of my talk um, that I'm. Oh, well, you know, I hope I, I gave it well. I, no, you did. <laughs> you absolutely gave it well. But that's, I mean, I mean, I mean, without putting too fine a point on it, this is what I've really been working on. Um, and we'll continue to work on over the summer as I get my talk ready for content marketing world this year is exactly that is it's time for a reboot. We need to look at it. It's, it's time to stop. You know, I mean, I have this, you know, not to, not to give it away, but, oh, it's only one thirty-four. people will forget by September anyway, but I have this wonderful <laughs> slide of Marshall McLuhan where the quote from him, and I'm a unabated and unapologetic uh, fanboy of Marshall McLuhan. And he said, basically, we tend to look at the new mediums 
as we do the old mediums and apply those same things to it. And thus, rather than understanding how the new medium is going to transform us, we look at how we're going to transform it into those old ideas. And it, you know, the classic example, the one I use all the time, is that when television came around, what we did was we turned on the cameras and filmed radio plays. We didn't think about the new things that we could do with television until much, much later. This is the same thing with content marketing. What we've done with content marketing is to turn it into supercharged advertising. Yeah. So we think just developing content that's really interesting and wonderful and treating it in the same way that we treat advertising will be the magic button. And that's not true. It's a different idea. It's a different model. It's a different investment. It's a different process. And that's the once and what we're starting to see and what, what you're getting at to two stories from now is this idea that here's a company that actually is understanding that it is a new model and a new idea and a new methodology that helps all everything else. It helps advertising, it helps all that, and that's that's really at the heart of it. So I don't know what other just a couple other check the box things that I thought was uh, really interesting. Well, besides the Google and Facebook dominance with internet advertising, so we talked about that. And now we're going to have – now next year's report, we could possibly see a third player. Maybe maybe next year, maybe two years, but I think it's going to be a three-company market, and it's going to be Google, Facebook, and Snapchat. Yeah, I'm I'm less bullish on Snapchat than everybody else on the planet seems to be. Um, And so I'm going to play devil's advocate there and say that I don't think it's true. I don't don't think that Snapchat's going to have the same – kind of impact. I mean, and I know, trust me, I know I'm in the minority on this. Everywhere I go, I hear about that, that same prediction that it's going to, the Snapchat's going to be as big as Facebook and it's going to dominate and it's going to be, I don't think, I don't believe it. I don't, I, I don't believe it. You don't believe you know? in the, in uh, that there's basically almost a neck and neck race between Facebook videos that are, and, and photos that are being shared in Snapchat. I absolutely Snapchat? do. I, I I do. I, I I can't deny the data, and I certainly can't deny the reality of what's going on right now. I don't see it lasting. I guess that's my point. Well, the trend line looks really good. I, I would like does, to have. I that know trend I'm an line. idiot. I look. I I may be the biggest goofball on the planet by by saying this, but I just something in my gut tells me that it's not going to last. Eighteen billion combined daily views of I, photos. Yeah. And social video. I know. What the heck? I know. I know. When did that it's, happen? It's it's huge. It's 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 huge. It's huge. As Mr. Trump would say. It's yeah, huge. It's huge. Uh, I don't know what other ones you had, but but the, the only one I'll call attention to, and and it's only because I just the, we were goofing around at the beginning of the show talking about Salesforce uh, buying Demandware, but that was a big story because this is if you don't think Salesforce is getting into e-commerce in a big way, they just did. They just sort of stomped a giant foot on the ground saying, guess what? We're coming into e-commerce. And I note, I note the slide in this story and certainly in, in Mary Meeker's deck, the one that talks about how Pinterest, the percent of users on each platform who utilize or find and shop for products. Um, and it's just overwhelmingly 55% of Pinterest users are using that tool to shop for products. And it's just I think that's, I mean, Pinterest is, here's, here's a, another prediction that I'll get myself into trouble for. Pinterest is going to be purchased, um, and it will be a giant e-commerce player that does it. You don't think it's going to be Google or Facebook? 
Well, it could it could be Google because Google could certainly you could argue Google's and it could be considered in e-commerce. But I think it's going to be someone who's real. I could see Amazon doing it for. Example. Oh, that would be yeah, that would be perfect fit. Yeah, I think yeah, the last exactly. the last thing that I had that we've touched on before on this show, but the the move to voice search is going to oh, happen. It's incredible! So yeah. it's happening right now, and twelve months from now we're going to see a substantial amount of searches being done through voice. And in the next three to five years, the sheer majority of all searches will be done voice by, by yeah. voice. And I, it's, it's, I think, well, the, I think we need to prepare for that. There's things yeah, we can do right now with our textual content that we should be preparing for that. And I don't know if companies are doing that. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. It's very interesting. There was also a statistic. This doesn't come from Mary Meeker's report. Did you see the statistic that came out that said, and I'm going to get the number wrong, so forgive me, but it's, 30 or 40% of all videos are watched with the sound off. Oh, I did see that somewhere. Isn't that interesting? That's, I mean, that's, well, that's, that's how I, really, I rarely yeah. turn the, I, I <laughs> well, I'll yeah, tell you what, a lot of those videos have gone really well, but because basically I'm, I'm reading it. I'm reading the words yeah. as it comes through. Exactly. And I'm like, great. I don't have to, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't want people knowing what I'm, I'm watching on my <laughs> Facebook feed. Come on, man. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our right. next story here so that we could get through at least two of them in the show. Oh, we'll get to all three. Um, this, we'll do it. We'll do this, it. This, this one comes to us courtesy of Variety.com, my one of my little hometown papers here in Los Angeles. Um, and the headline is Yahoo's False Prophet. Ouch. How Marissa Mayer Failed to Turn the Company Around. Um, and this one might seem a little weird for a content marketing show to cover, but the story opens up and talks a lot about content. Um, it says, uh, Mayor, uh, Marissa Mayer has sat behind the wheel at Yahoo for nearly four years. I think that's so funny how four years seems like a long time now. But anyway, she has had the luxury of running one of the world's most recognized internet brands. I, I'm going to disagree with that, too. But all right, hold on. Oh, come on. With it surging is. digital no, ad. It is. It is. But, to, but to, listen, okay, all right. Let me just get through the lead, and then we'll, and then we'll, we'll discuss <laughs> all here. Right, all right, all right. But a cooperative board, a truckload of cash, and one billion monthly visitors, and she still has failed to turn things around at the beleaguered company. Okay, let me just say this, and then I want to get your take. All right. So here's the thing. There was nobody that said when Marissa Mayer t- left Google and went to Yahoo and went, Oh, Marissa Mayer is going to one of the world leading brand. I mean, Yahoo is amazing. No, no, no. And, and Most recognized. Yahoo, I mean, Yahoo was leading. in a world of hurt when she when she went to. You know, everybody was going. Basically, look, Marissa Mayer is going in there, and it, the 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 attitude at the time, and certainly my comment at the time was, you know. If anybody can turn it around, maybe she can. But quite frankly, I'm a little confused about why she would dive onto the Titanic as the bow is going under. But, you know, I think given, I, you know, I've watched what she's done and, and certainly, you know, you can critique it or whatever. But I think given all things being equal, Yahoo was sort of destined to be to, to become what it is now. And I'm not sure that Marissa Mayer's it's not Marissa Mayer's fault. Oh, I, I, come you know. on, man. No? All right. Okay. All the, right. The, Bring it. The, okay. I'm not saying it's Marissa Mayer's fault. But what I'm saying is is that I don't think anything changed from the fact that they tried to, they tried to be everything. They, they, I mean, if you try to be everything, you're going to be nothing at all. And I think that's what's, Fair that's what's happening. I agree with that. Fair now, enough. Now, uh, let's just take this from a content creation and distribution standpoint. I don't have any expertise outside of that. I'm, I'm fairly well-versed in the content that Yahoo has been 
producing, and I can't figure out a strategy with it. And I'll give you a real simple example. For the last 10 years, you could say 10 years ago, if you said, what's the leading resource in the world on financial content, like up-to-date, real-time financial content, you could make a case that it was Yahoo Finance. You really could. Like That, That's right. that was the yes, home. I would agree. Yeah. Yes. Do you know? They were amazing. Do you know that that hasn't changed one bit in ten years? I know. I don't even I, think the I interface know. has changed. I think it's the exact same thing. I think they're just maintaining it. So this is what I see happening, and it, it doesn't mean that it happened, but th- it looks like they said, "Look, we're going to. Cr- we need a little bit of content in everything, which makes them jack of all trades in content, master of none, and that's exactly what they are right now." And it's like, oh, okay, if they tend to run in accidentally, people search on Yahoo because they, they've installed McAfee and they get the Yahoo search bar <laughs> and, and they get it. They didn't even know their computer updated with it. That's how they ended up on okay. Yahoo. Fine. Uh, that, but this is why I'm passionate about this is I see companies like I talked to today doing the exact same thing. They're just like, we need this content. And they be they just start creating content that's not differentiated at all, and that, that it just is a bunch of nothing. It doesn't do anything for the business, and I think that's actually what what happened. Here's what amazes me, and I want to get your take on this. So they're saying that they were, I guess, what they were hoping to sell Yahoo for about eight billion or get about eight billion for Yahoo that's at this right. point. Yeah, exactly. and it looks like it's it might be between two to three billion. Right. Do you know that that is less than one-time revenue and about three to four times EBITDA? Yeah, that's I ridiculous. Know. That's yes. that that's that's something like you'd get for the slowest moving manufacturing company on the planet. You're going to get this for uh, one of the right. most recognized uh, digital brands out there, or whatever they they said. Anyways, I'm off. Well, why hasn't somebody bought it yet? That's what. So here, I mean, because you remember. <laughs> I've, I think I've told you this over beers at one point. I told you my conspiracy theory here. Go ahead. Let's say it. My, so my conspiracy theory was that basically Google said, hey, Marissa, here's the deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're going to go to Yahoo, and you're going to spend four years there, and you're going to completely blow the place up. And the way you're going to blow it up is by doing nothing. It's going to do nothing. You're just going to sit there. And you're going to have a baby, and you're going to do cool things, and you're going to hang out, and you're going to go on vacation, but we need you to do nothing. Don't, don't do any of those smart things that you might do. And then when it blows up, we're going to buy it, and then we'll bring you back, and you'll become Google royalty again. That was my conspiracy theory. Oh, my gosh. It could happen that way. It absolutely yeah. could. Do you think that Google's going to buy Yahoo? We could. Google I mean, they certainly could Yahoo now. I mean, nothing. to I mean, your point, you know, to your point on earnings. I don't And then you make and then you make Marissa, you know, back you put her in charge back in charge of 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 either the content or search. I think she was in charge of search before, so yeah. But what do you I don't I, yeah, I hear what you're saying and I and I actually like it. <laughs> it's a conspiracy theory. I actually theory. Come like on. it. No, I got my tin foil hat I, on. No, I mean, I this, do. this this is not for real. I do I, it could be for real. I do like it. Yeah. The problem is is that who would buy Besides somebody that just really wants a lot of page views, which are going down, right. but right, what what what, but, what would you buy it for? I'd buy it for the amount of money that you just quoted. Yeah, two or three billion dollars. I mean that. I mean that's a bargain yeah, for anybody. Well, I mean that's a rounding error for you know for for Google's quarterly earnings. Well, I'm trying to find it here. What's what? Don't they have like something like? 
billions of dollars in cash on hand? Yeah. Oh well, they, they get the billion, whole. So that's they, they, yeah, they've got a lot of cash because of the Alibaba investment. They've got a, but that I think is a separate thing. They would sell that. That would be. That would be. That, I'm sure that would be not you part can't, of the yeah, sale. Yeah, you you can't spend three billion dollars for the company and get seven right. billion dollars in cash. Exactly. So exactly. All, right. Although we right. should put a consortium together right now <laughs> and make that happen because that would be. Right. I think that's a smart deal. Basically, getting yeah, Yahoo plus deal. four billion in cash. <laughs> Anyways, you're gonna pay me. Yeah. Anyway, get you know get your financial advice from Joe and Robert. <laughs> well, the, the point is the closing point, which is the reason why we want to talk about it here is if you yes, are exactly. co- creating content, you need focus more than anything else. Exactly. Don't do what Yahoo did with their content. Basically, said we're <laughs> just gonna do all this stuff and see what happens. We should get T-shirts. Don't do what Yahoo did. Don't do Yahoo. Don't be Yahoo. Yahoo. <laughs> Don't be a Yahoo. That would be good. Don't be a Yahoo. That would be that would be good. All right, let's move on to our last story of the show here, which comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. And this one is a happy-making story for sure. Mondelez, the huge international snack food giant, has moving to look more like a media company, uh, so says the Wall Street Journal. And the article opens up by saying that the company, with brands like Triscuit, uh, Toblerone chocolate, Nutter Butter cookies, um, is getting into the media business in hopes of reaching consumers who are increasingly avoiding advertising. The company's new fearless media monetization model is designed to help Mondelez create commercially viable content, which the company says will ultimately help it be bigger and make bigger marketing uh, investments. Mondelez will focus on forming media partnerships to acquire, develop, and distribute content that will promote its so-called power brands like Oreo and Trident Gum. The idea is that it is becoming more of a publisher will open up new revenue streams for content. I think just as we talked about, uh, whether it was last week or the week before, um, with uh, Pepsi, yeah. here we go. Here's a major consumer brand opening up a content studio to not only create better marketing, but to actually make money with content. What do you think? So you and I talked about this before the show, but this is what I'm trying to figure out. Okay, we had Pepsi. Now we have Mondelez. That they're not just saying, they're not just saying they're going to do a Marriott, right? They're right. saying we're exactly. going to create... To create a marketing function in the business as a profit center. That's right. That having two huge companies in a three-week time period roll this out or publicize it, whatever you want to do, it just gets me scratching my head trying to figure out how many companies out there are doing this right now. Exactly. I mean, how I many? I have a feeling they all they all read they all read Carla in my book. Is what well, they, that's, they, that's what well, I think who happened. didn't? <laughs> Nobody listening to this program. So I'm I'm really interested, and of course, we talked about this. I mean, I I was on stage at Content Marketing World 2015 talking about this, saying in the next year or two, you're going to yeah. see the biggest content marketing failures of our time, resulting right. from this time, and you're going to see the biggest successes we've ever seen at the same time. And exactly. I think this could be could be either one, right? But I have the feeling that this is the right. Approach. I mean, do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I just say, yeah. I just throwing it out there. I yeah, softball I, yeah, duh. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I mean, the thing that I love about this is that it's not just another. We're launching a content studio to do branded content and branded entertainment that'll win us a few Con Lion awards. And yay, aren't we cool? They're actually talking about building a business unit that is a media house built to make money. 
and to use it as a way to drive revenue in addition to what they're doing with their sort of pinnacle brands, Trident and, you know, Triscuit and Toblerone and all, you know, amazing consumer brands that lend themselves to producing great content. You know, they can do for Toblerone and, um, and, and, you know, and Trident and Oreo, what Lego has done with Lego. And I think it's just a fascinating, fascinating thing. I had, again, this is all recency effect, but I had one of the people that I was, we were having a one-on-one meeting with and talking about this and they were really saying, Hey, where, where am I going to find the resources to do some of these things? And I just looked at them and said, Hey, look, I know right now you don't think you have resources. At the same time, I know that last year you spent over a hundred million dollars in advertising. Exactly. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. I, I mean, what what let's, what what if you had three percent of that? Now, here's what I was thinking because in this article they say that uh, Mondelez spent last year 1.5 billion dollars in advertising. Yes, exactly. What? Let's just say that they said, "Oh, we're going to take 50 percent of that and put this toward this towards this research initiative here about uh, marketing as a profit center." Could you imagine? I mean, they would instantly dominate. Nobody invests. Nobody invests in media companies. Seven hundred and fifty million dollars into into content. I mean, come on, you yeah, would instantly I mean, dominate, and that's why I'm. And and I I had this roundtable going, and I'm like, look, you, in the next five to ten years, you at this table, you're either going to dominate your industry niches, you are going to be the media companies, or you are going to be out of a job, right, <laughs> or doing yeah, something mean, else entirely. I mean, Here, it's, it, here's something else that just just to put this into perspective for you. This is a statistic that I just um, uh, I, I, I used to throw around a lot, and it's it's a it's a fun one, which is how small the feature film business is. We you know we tend to think of Star Wars and all this stuff, and it's like amazing, you know, huge, 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 you know, numbers and stuff like that. The amount of revenue that Marvel has made off of all of these superhero movies going back to 2010. So think about okay. that for a second. Mar- Marvel, specifically. Marvel. Okay. So that's Iron Man, The Avengers. Yeah. It's all of those movies sort of going back to, let's say, 2012, right? 2012, so the last four years of, of all of those movies combined is less than the quarterly revenue of Oracle's last quarter of revenue. No way. Isn't that amazing? No way. Yeah, if you total it all up, it's around like something like twenty eight or twenty seven billion of all those movies' revenue combined. Oh and my god! I think Oracle's last revenue quarter revenue was like forty two billion or something like that. Yeah, it's a small business. the The feature film world is a small business when compared to other things. And so when you talk about the budgets of like a $750 million investment into content, as, as it pertains to creation of content, that is a huge budget. That is a huge, huge well, budget. Well, and even in Mary Meeker's report, they, they have there's a slide there, I think, with the top 20 ad budgets for 2015 yeah. that were in there. I'd just love to get one of those chief marketing oh, officers to say, that. look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to spend a billion dollars on it. We're going to rock the world with it. You know what? And here's the thing. Even if they're wrong, it's not going to hurt anybody. <laughs> I mean, exactly. come on, let's give it a try. <laughs> Somebody just work with you me. Just sound, you just sounded like the drunk uncle. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not, not going to hurt, hurt anybody. anybody. Nobody's going to get hurt. Okay. 
It's all going to be just fine. It's just going to be great. I don't know. I just, just want to see. I, you know, here's dough. the thing. I know Come it's going to happen. I just want it to happen now. That's all. Yeah. Is that too much exactly. to ask, Robert? It is not. And you know what else isn't too much what to is ask? That, my friend? Is that to talk about the most amazing sponsor oh, that we my have goodness. for this show. Yes. It's so wonderful. Special thanks to our sponsor of This Old Marketing this week is GoToWebinar. Robert, did you know? That webinars are consistently rated as the number one marketer tactic for I've lead generation. You've heard this before. With over 60% of all marketers utilizing webinars. But many businesses still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. Following a simple five-step plan, the keys to using webinars for successful lead generation go from daunting, daunting to, doable. to doable absolutely from finding your audience and developing engaging content to authentic interaction and webinar promotion you'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar is an amazing piece of content that you need to download right now it is an ebook it is downloadable for free at cmi.media slash PNR134. That's cmi.media slash PNR134, or you can find it in the show notes at thisoldmarketing.com. Special thanks to go to webinar this week. Just do it. It's not going to hurt anybody. Just come on now. It's just download. Actually, we've had a number of you download it, so thank you for that. But but the rest of you, I'm not not really sure what you're waiting for. Really not sure. It's a good piece of content. All right, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, thank you to GoToWebinar. It is a wonderful, wonderful piece of content. And now it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and raves section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're living in the past and we're dealing with Biff getting punched in the diner or that we're feeling the love of the future. We're feeling the back to the future. And uh, let's see, I have this old marketing this week, so I go first. So you are first. So I have a rave this week, um, and it feels like I'm raving about this guy like every other episode, um, but here I go again um, because he wrote a blog post that is just, um, it, it made me so happy. It was just a, it's one of those, there are times when people blog about something that you just get annoyed at how clever it is, and this is one of those times where I'm like, ugh. This is, this is one of those quotes that I wish I had said and I didn't, and it's just great. So. Uh, this is our friend Scott Brinker, of course, at Chief Martech um, and writing on his blog, chiefmartech.com. He writes a blog post called The Radical No MQL Movement uh, Movement in Content Marketing. And, of course, he's starting this idea of the no MQL based on, and this is a totally geeky reference joke, which is the whole no SQL movement. Um, and so it's a little, you know, it's a little geeky, um, nerdy joke, but to me it was just, it was so perfect. Anyway, so the blog post goes on and talks, actually references uh, a, a story we talked about on the podcast um, six or seven episodes ago um, by Dave Gerhardt, um, who is the head of marketing at Drift, where he said why we're throwing out all of our lead forms and making content free. Basically, they're making all the content that they do ungated and available for free and he starts to this is now scott talking in this blog post he starts talking about this idea of 
this being a trend and where people are starting to think about this sort of radical no MQL. And MQL, for those of you who don't know, is the uh, marketing qualified lead made famous by the serious decisions sort of model, waterfall math, uh, model of, 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 of marketing. And he talks about this idea and basically his blog post, which is just fantastic post that talks about and the comments are really just as good as the post itself where the discussion is happening and talks about the idea of lead forms and the efficacy of them and whether we, you know, whether it's better to swing the pendulum all the way to the right or left, basically getting rid of all of them, getting rid of none of them. And he sort of takes a down-the-middle approach and says, basically, look, there's, you know, the idea is that you want to have some gated and some not. So... I totally agree with all of that, and and it, but it just feeds into this idea that I've been talking more and more with marketers. It was the heart of the talk at my ANA BMA uh, talk in Chicago, which is this idea of if we're truly creating subscribers, what we the thing we need to realize is that the two things that we're doing there, one is that supercharged marketing that we talked about, you know, so gating content, gating, you know, putting content behind a gate. And calling that a lead generator is a bit of a misnomer. But so is gating content and calling it a subscription acquisition as well. And so if we, you know, you can look at the lead stuff that Scott talks about and and talks about that. What I want to sort of shift over to is this idea of when we're putting together a content marketing approach and we're thinking about what content should be gated or put behind a form, et cetera, think about it in this way, which is a subscriber, And when you subscribe to something, it is not for the content you get. It is for the content you're going to get. It is for the experience you're going to have. When you subscribe to a magazine, most of the time when you subscribe to a magazine, it is because you have read one that you either purchased at a newsstand or you got for free, and you went, this is great. I'm going to subscribe without knowing what I'm going to get next month. I'm signing up and willingly giving my data over because whatever it is that's coming in the pipe next is going to be just as good as what I just experienced. That's a subscriber. That's an audience member. Putting a lead, a gated form in front of a piece of content and then extracting data for that piece of content isn't creating a subscriber. You may be creating a lead. You may be creating an opportunity. You may be creating a Mickey Mouse at gmail.com, but don't think of it as a subscriber. Not until they're willingly giving you data for the content that, not that the content they got, but for the content they're going to get. And that's the difference. He doesn't really touch on that in this post, but I loved this post because if you can start to think of it in that in that way, what you start looking at it from a lead nurturing and lead generation perspective is a similar kind of, of, of thought process. And so I, I love the post, love the discussion around it, and was really annoyed by the cleverness of the headline. Well, Scott is a, a super smart cookie. Yeah, very smart. I forgot that I'm, I'm so apologetic to Scott right now. I can't remember the name of his book. Hacking something, um, hacking market. Oh man, I'm going to get this wrong. Anyway, Scott Brinker has a great book out <laughs> that I've read. If you get a chance, definitely check it out. So I think that I'm on Florida time now. I can't remember anything, Robert. Hacking marketing is. The Thank you very much. You yeah. Jeez, good thing you're that you're welcome. here. How did you yeah, know this? Did you have? Is there some kind of a device that you were able to look I up? Had access to information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instant is this access like a to Star information. Trek? What is with, going yeah. on? Here? I don't know what it's called. All right, my rave is very very quick. Uh, this one comes from our good friend uh, Nanad Senek. He sent this to me a little while ago, and this is from Digiday, and it talks about how Monocle Magazine found money in audio, and of course we'll have the link in the show notes. I'm just going to read this here from uh, Robert from from the article. 
itself. It says, while many print publications are ramping up their podcast output, Monocle Magazine went beyond and launched its own 24-hour digital radio station in 2011. It now has Hmm. 1 million monthly listeners, double what it had last year, according to internal figures. And Monocle 24 runs four daily live shows plus 40 individual weekly programs. Now, also from the article, the um, Monocle's executive editor, Steve Bloomfield, said, We assumed that people would listen to the radio show who already knew the magazine. Said, but we found a whole new audience for our magazine through the radio program. Now, I want to stop here. Because this is one of the critical steps, and and you talk about this, I talk about this as the fifth step of the Content Inc. model, if you're taking a content marketing approach, and that's actually diversification. So once you do, you first build the platform, whatever that platform is. It could be be textual. The content type could be textual plus images. It could be audio. It could be video. On the platform, it could be Yahoo. Or I'm not (laughs) Yahoo on the brain. It could could be YouTube. uh, It could be iTunes. It could be your blog or website. And once you build the platform of subscribers, that you just talked about, then it's our opportunity to diversify. And people ask, why do you want to diversify? Because then you're trying to reach a whole new audience. You're not, like for us, what we found out is is that the people that read the blog aren't necessarily the same ones that listen to the podcast. But we've been able to populate each one a little bit uh, from them finding each one individually. So anyways, I just wanted to put that out there, why diversification is, is so important. So here's one part that I really liked. As part of the rave, it says, Monocle also gained an extra 750,000 listeners through commercial agreements with radio stations ABC Australia and CBC Canada, each of which, take, with, each of which takes between six and eight Monocle 24 programs a week as more traditional radio stations look for quality programs to fill airspace. I love this, Robert. Yeah. Because I don't think we're thinking about this enough when we realize that we're creating content as an organization and there are media properties out there that actually need to fill their time. That could be on radio, it could be online, could be through syndication deals, whatever. And I love the fact that you know, Monocle is looking to actually distribute out beyond their own audience in new and unique ways, which basically are already there that are there waiting for us. So if I'm in an industry trade, if I'm in a trade, uh, if I'm in uh, transportation, we're talking about that. And if the trade publications have content gaps they need to fill, they're either going to pay for it or they're going to need to partner to get it. There's no reason why that can't be you that fills that and you're able to build your audience outside of that uh, based on, or you could actually charge for that money as we're talking about marketing as a profit center. So I just love this idea besides the fact that I really do believe that um, we're all talking about video and social media here, and I still think that podcasting is going to be huge because it still is the only uh, medium that you can listen to and do something else at the same time. It's the only content if type we don't, you can... If we don't get too wrapped up in the whole Snapchat thing. Well, <laughs> Snapchat audio. Hey, no, no, I'm still... I, I, you know, we have friends that are trying to get us in and, and do do the whole Snapchat thing. But really, if I was going to put my money somewhere right now, obviously we've got to do the plan, do the strategy, figure it out. And I'm looking at a content type. I'm absolutely looking at audio as oh, as a yeah. key because there, it's the one area where there is not so much clutter in in different uh, niche areas that you can you can make an impact and, pretty quickly. well. And you know, but let's not let's not sugarcoat it either. It's it's 
you know, I mean, we goof around here, but it's not, you know, it's a, it's a commitment, right? I mean, it's to do well, audio is a absolute commitment and it takes time and effort and real, you know, real blood, sweat and tears to put something valuable together. And so, you know, it's not the kind of thing you dash off on the train home, right? You actually have to think about this stuff and, and, um, it's you know it, it you are richer for it and your audience is richer for it. Oh, we know it's a commitment. I have to talk to <laughs> right. you every week, my friend, and not that yeah, I don't exactly. love it. I absolutely yeah, do. Absolutely. So, all right. What do you got for this? Old all right. Marketing? That's an awesome one, by the way. Yeah. So okay. So uh, this is a wonderful little uh, this old marketing, um, and it comes inspired from. Um, I've had it in the, my hip pocket. Um, you've had the last couple here and I've had this one in my hip pocket cause I was watching risky business. Yeah. You know, Great you know, movie. risky business, oh of course. My gosh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just an awesome movie. And so I, um, the, the, the inspiration from this came of course, because in the movie, he drives what a Porsche, right? He drives his dad's Porsche around Porsche 928, right? There is no substitute. And, the, I started looking at Porsche and looking at the history of this and, and, and found some, a really interesting, this old marketing example. And the, and this old marketing example is their Christo, Christophorus magazine. Um, this, so the very first car, this is a great story. The first car that got the Porsche name was built in 1948, um, in, uh, Gmund, I mispronouncing that I'm sure Austria. Um, and, just a few uh, of those cars were sold, and it wasn't exactly a huge hit. And um, the but they so they felt up that they really needed to figure out to get a relationship with the car, with the people, with the consumer. And so that's where they started thinking about this magazine. So there was this graphic artist, um, and he met this writer and editor in a movie theater in Stuttgart in 1950. And they were basically thinking about how to work with marketing Porsche in a better way. And so they started thinking about how they would create a brochure and a brochure wasn't really right. And they, they wanted to create some advertising and that wasn't really right. And so they did indeed create a brochure. But then just a year later, they were starting to think about it and they thought, let's put together something that has a relationship with the consumer. And so they started thinking about what they would call it. And they started, there was a patron saint of drivers, and that's how they came up with the name Christophorus. Um, and they started producing issues of this magazine. And they started basically keeping it really simple by numbering them. So the magazines all have a number. They started with zero. Um, the early days, they were publishing the magazine only in German. And then they rolled out an English magazine for the UK in 1956, um, which was simultaneously published with the German version, um, and then basically uh, have ultimately gotten to German, English, French, Italian, and Spanish. And all of the magazines themselves are really focused on and have always been focused on since the 50s, basically letters from readers, fashion, um, techniques of rebuilding Porsches, um, dozens of beautiful photography um, pictures of real customers with their car in real settings. And basically it became this user-generated content as well as feature article filled as well as sort of how-to and tips um, into what relationship you would have with a Porsche should you ever actually own one. And so it is to date really, as far as I can see here, the oldest existing customer magazine in automotive history. 
And the blog post that we'll link to actually is this one tells the story that I just told, but also then goes through all of the issues or certainly uh, hundreds of them of all of the covers, which are just beautiful going back to the 1950s and showing all the wonderful covers of Porsche and their owners and in different settings in the snow and in the spring and in the mountains and stuff like that. Um, And they now have more than half a million subscribers to this thing. Um, all over the world that are subscribing to the Porsche Christophorus uh, magazine. It's just a wonderful example of this old marketing. That, that's amazing. It's, uh, um, I talked with somebody else today, again, not to bother everybody with all my stories from Transportation Conference, but uh, he was saying that he has 95, they have, this company has 95% of the market and was a little down and saying, I, I don't do, we don't do any like top of the funnel stuff, lead generation and whatnot. And I said, you are gifted with a wonderful problem, my friend. You can focus on loyalty retention, which is the the noblest of all goals when it comes to content marketing. <laughs> right. And again, with this magazine, it's the same thing. I mean, though, that is the most exciting, I think, is to try to figure out how do we take our customers and try to create, as you say, better customers. And I think that's yeah. what this is. And a relationship. Does. I love the fact that it was focused on having a really using this content to develop a deeper relationship between the customer and the brand. Exactly. It's just a, it's just a yeah, absolutely. Exactly that. I love it. All right. We made All right, it. So you're down. You have downtime this week. Yes. That well, is where I'm, you're spending your week. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. So for the next couple of days, I'll, I'll be with the family here in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale doing a few things. We've got family down here as well. So I'll be doing that and I'll be back in the office, I think on Friday or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, are you, uh, are you traveling this week? I am. I'm a traveling fiend this week. I had tomorrow, first thing in the morning to Toronto, uh, I'm speaking at the Magnet uh, Conference, which is a publishing conference up in Toronto, Canada. Um, and then I immediately jump on a plane and go to New York, where I'm spending a day with the client on Thursday. And then Thursday night, I fly to beautiful downtown Des Moines, Iowa, um, where I will be speaking at another publishing conference um, in Des Moines. So, and then flying home from there. So I'll be home wow, Friday. You're evening. busy. All right. I am. I, yeah. No. There's no rest for the weary. We got. Uh, we, we got, got work uh, to do. Know, we got yeah. We, we have got plenty work of work do, that friend. needs to be done, my friend. <laughs> and happy to be along the ride with you. So. Absolutely. You All right, ladies and gents, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off from episode 134. And if you liked this episode, we do hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or the newly owned scripts uh, Stitcher.com. And when you subscribe, if you subscribe, do let us know with the hashtag this old marketing on that Twitter thing or the Snapchat thing. We'd love to thank you personally. That's how much we appreciate you as a subscriber to our little time travel machine. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We love them. Hashtag this old marketing on Twitter. Or you can send us an email if you love that to this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are coming out tonight on Monday. And then, of course, end the show post on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.